everyone. Uh, welcome back to State of the Revolution, the Michigan Progressive Podcast. Uh, it's me, Benjamin. Uh, my co-host today is Ricky Reynolds. Hi, Ricky. Hi. We're on a Zoom conference right now. Um, and, uh, well, uh, this is episode 69, nice, 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 um, which is actually, <laughs> Sam just stabbed, um, which is actually pretty fitting because today we're talking about mutual aid organizing. Um, right now, many countries in the world are embroiled in a massive fucking crisis, uh, the likes of which we have not seen in generations. Um, as of, as of right now, the response from the U S federal government has been utter shit. I believe that there is a, uh, a relief package that is moving through the Senate right now, but the details of which that have been released seem to be in the, the, the response seems to be insufficient. Um, so obviously there are going to be a lot of people who are going to uh, fall through the cracks and those who are who are covered under this bill probably still aren't going to aren't, aren't going to re- receive the help that they need. So right now is one of those times when it's incredibly important that uh, we all come together uh, to support each other and do our best to make sure that we're meeting the needs of you know the people in our communities. Um, so to talk more about that work, uh, we are joined by Samuel Klon, who is the founder of the Lansing a- of Lansing Aid, uh, sorry Lansing Area Mutual Aid. Um, he's also uh, my brother. Uh, so Hi. thanks, uh, thanks for joining us, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we have such a good example to use to talk about mutual aid. Um, you know, I'm glad that this didn't come five episodes sooner. <laughs> well, Ben had told me that he was planning on this like a while ago that he wanted to talk about mutual aid in our 69th episode. So I guess we just uh, lucked out with the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly. Our we uh, just our amazing, amazing luck to be <laughs> to be given this fucking uh, pandemic right mm-hmm. here, right now. This is it's it's great. We you you love to see it, folks. <laughs> so uh, how how are you doing, Sam? I'm okay. Um, I think uh, I share the same kind of emotional, holistic well-being that a lot of people uh, share, especially people that are in um, kind of reaction industries uh, that are, you know, stepping up to the plate and they're impacted more and they're going to work more instead of being forced to stay at home, uh, which is um, I haven't had a good night's sleep in like 10 days. And so I'm a little tired. Um, I'm really like proud of the work that we've done so far and i'm very um energized in some parts of my spirit um but as that brannigan said the spirit is willing but the flesh is spongy and sore (laughs) that's a solid reference um i well so to so I, I I firstly I'd like I'd like for you to uh define what mutual aid is exactly yeah. for for people who aren't familiar with it and uh how how your how the work that you're doing is fitting into that. Yeah. Um so I think a lot of people have these misconceptions about mutual aid that it's that it's a handout system or that it's a time bank um which some communities have or it's just, um, or it's just another nonprofit organization, uh, and I think that all of those uh, kind of fall short of a full 
um, holistic and cohesive encapsulation because mutual aid is um, it's much more, I think, community driven. It's much more um, microscopically driven. Um, so mutual aid isn't just um, an organization making sure that everyone has everything. It is uh, individuals in a community organizing together to make sure that uh, individuals can meet the needs of other individuals and households and families that, that need things. Um, and so there are definitely spaces for organizations to come into play, especially right now, organizations like the Greater Lansing Food Bank, um, organizations like food wholesalers, um, organizations, you know, have roles to play, but mutual aid isn't an organization um, in the classical, I think, colloquial sense of the word, and it shouldn't be um, because mutual aid is at its best, and I think it's only sustainable and functional um, when it's when it's a conduit to to learn about your neighbors and uh, and to care for the people around you more directly, and so it really does thrive on that individual empathy. For sure. So, um, could you explain to us uh, what specifically your work is doing that you know fits into that definition? Then, yeah. Um, so, I want to say on the seventeenth of the month or so, so um, a little over a week ago, um, I started putting together a series of. Um, of documents, actually. It was one Google document that was, um, I just wanted the Lansing area to have a one-stop shop. Um, so they didn't have to read all the tweets and get all the misinformation or, um, travel to eight different CDC websites, as well as the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. I kind of, um, just summarized and linked all of those vetted resources and all of those reputable places into one location. And so I, um, sorry, that was a mutual aid text. Um, and so I just wanted to put those together. And then I thought specifically that we could talk about Lansing resources. So, um, when the governor shut down school, uh, and announced that the, the public and the public school districts announced that they would be able to, um, still provide meals, um, you know, putting that information in so that Lansing residents, families with school aged children, uh, they would be able to see that information. They wouldn't have to try to find the school district website. There's this thing that's already circulating around the community and it's a living document. And so we can update it as things change, as those resources are made and become available. Um, just because so much of this is close to the chest, we're, um, building these life rafts as we need them. And, um, you know, people are still, you know, like jumping in as they're being, um, made buoyant and fully, fully available. Um, and along with that, I made a couple of surveys and, um, I don't know if I necessarily thought of it on the same scale as it now exists, but, um, I thought if some individuals, uh, have something that they can offer, uh, and there's another person that, that really needs it, just having a survey and having the ability to, to pair those needs up, um, that can help cut out a lot of, um, a lot of problems, especially as, um, as grocery stores run low on most goods, toilet paper, cleaning supplies, um, beef and meat, uh, all of those were off the shelves. They're still very difficult to find. And so I think, um, that was actually my main idea was to honestly have a finger on the pulse of the black market economy on toilet paper. And then Hell it yeah. kind of radiated, it radiated outwards into other goods and services. It became, I just really need groceries, period. I got laid off because of this. Um, it became, I really just need someone that can help me put some gas in my car because it died in my driveway and I can't get to work. 
um, all of those little types of things. Um, just, just having an outlet for people to ask for help and for other people to see it and say, yes, I will help you. Um, and then I, um, sent that out to several people in the community that are in places where they can help spread it and in places, uh, and in positions where I think that, um, they were able to really get it in front of people's eyes and get the link out. And I asked them if they wanted to help, if they had feedback, if they wanted to be involved and, uh, people started saying yes. Um, and so, uh, in a very organic, um, kind of non-intentional way, it started becoming, um, a real, uh, kind of grassroots movement about what Lansing looks like and how how robust and resilient we can look like in the face of something that's going to be so um, devastating, not only to um, the economy, not only to people's lives, but uh, to the way that we interact with each other, uh, to the way that we um, trust ourselves to be around one another even right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of currency and social capital that's not just in getting your needs met, but it's in building this sense of community that will, um, hopefully outlast, um, you know, a temporary problem or crisis and it will make Lansing stronger, um, as, as a total value and not just as a temporary fix. Absolutely. Um, so real quick, uh, what is, what, what is the scale that you're operating at now? Is it, is this just like the city of Lansing or the, like the greater Lansing area? Um, I think we've intentionally kind of tried to not define that question um, for no, context. I, I, for, I'm, well, I'm not asking you to place a limit on it. I'm just asking, like, yeah. what what has naturally yeah. happened at this point? Yeah. Um, so my initial thought was I was going to make it for the east side. I figured mm-hmm. that um, other neighborhoods might be doing the same thing. And uh, historically, I don't know if you've mentioned it on the podcast, uh, but I became um, I became a local junta or strongman in the east side. Um, through, through the rigging of a local election. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's a joke. It's a, yeah, that's did not literally rig rig an election. No. Um, so, uh, our neighborhood has a, a neighborhood organization and the vice president was the sitting council person for our uh, portion of the city. And this woman's daughter was a member of that same board for the neighborhood organization. And then they endorsed her. And I thought that that was nepotism. And I started telling people, I think that's nepotism. And it became a very dramatic thing. I got banned from a Facebook group for it. Um, I got unbanned for a Facebook group for it. And then I started my own as kind of a shout into the void. And then it became, um, a much more, I think, vibrant, reflection of the people who live and work and do things on the east side mm-hmm. um so my initial thought was i would use that network and i would just make sure that network got cared for uh but then you know people started sharing it with other people who lived in lansing and i figured oh well if lansing if no other neighborhood in lansing really has uh this type of initiative going on um that's good i'm i'm i think that's a doable thing even if people have to drive you know 10 minutes to the other side of town to deliver something or to pick something up. That's totally reasonable. Uh, but now what we're seeing is I just got an email, uh, today from, uh, an individual in, uh, I think St. Joseph, somewhere on the West coast of the state. And, you know, he knows that he can't directly plug in, but he's asking, you know, how do I replicate this in my community? Um, we have individual survey results from, from Hazlitt and from Jackson and from Novi. Um, they probably, you know, didn't know that, that we can't feasibly, you know, 
do mutual aid in their area because they're outliers and they're so far removed geographically. Um, but it is, I think, making waves and kind of um, touching people's lives uh, far outside of what I thought. Um, I think my best guess realistically is that the majority of people uh, are in Ingham County. Um, but that even that is kind of at capacity. We are getting responses and interactions that are actually fruitful and beneficial. And they're coming from DeWitt and they're coming from Mason and they're coming from Williamson. Mm-hmm. So how many uh, how many people are running this right now? Um, we would like it to not be. Uh, you know, leftists, we never want to have like the formal leadership thing. Um, but we do have six people um, that are pretty much on and doing something important every day. Uh, there's myself, there's Cece, there's Charla, there's Brandon Betts, who is the uh, the actual individual who ousted um, who ousted the city council person that I accused of nepotism. Um, we have his right-hand man, Ross. Um, we have Ian Hyslop, who is a member of the local chapter of DSA. Um, and I think that's all six of us, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but we are, we are pretty much doing, uh, a, a lot of the core things that, uh, maybe for security reasons to protect people's identities, we don't necessarily want it up for debate bef- before the larger group. Um, but we have always said that, you know, we want willing volunteers, we want people involved at whatever capacity, at whatever emotional limit, whatever social energy you have uh, that you are willing to give, we'll take it. And so yesterday we actually did a training to get 15 people involved in making phone calls and pairing people who need things to people who have things. Um, we have people that are, you know, donating, you know, front end web development skills, um, so a lot of it is being, you know, in uh, in the best way possible, kind of crowdsourced and um, uh, very organically kind of creating the mutual aid network out of mutual aid, out of this is a need that we have. Um, and this is something that the community wants to contribute to the to mutual aid as as an organization, as a, as a nexus, because they believe in that as as an example of the broader process of making mutual aid more accessible and further reaching. So you, uh, you, you had mentioned that, uh, you have the DSA involved. Uh, I believe, uh, they took a vote recently, uh, to become, what was that again? The fiduciary. The fiduciary. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite word of the week. Fiduciary. So the, uh, the greater Lansing DSA is now the fiduciary of this project. Um, but are they involved or, uh, are, did they want to be involved in any, uh, in a greater capacity or to a greater extent? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we're, we're trying to balance kind of that really fine line. Um, right now, Greater Lansing DSA is an established 501c4 nonprofit, and so there are fiduciary. Uh, that allows us to have a bit more um, up and up status on on our finances, on taking private donations. Uh, for the donors, it allows it to be tax deductible; uh, they can write it off. Um, and for us, we get to have buying power that does not include taxes if we have to buy bulk groceries in the future. Um, and it just gives a lot more auditing. Um, but DSA, uh, our chapter, at least here in the Lansing area, we don't believe that it has um, – we don't think it's really had to deal with the capacity that we're expecting before, um, just because there are people that have expressed interest in facilitating 
rather sizable donations. Uh, and so uh, we are working with them, and on paper, they are doing a lot in letting us use their EIN. Um, and then there are other individuals. Using their, um, I'm sorry, are, using their what? Their EIN. Oh, okay. It's yeah. Yeah. their identification number. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, and DSA, stop it. And DSA happens to make up the largest uh, segment of our volunteer base. Uh, the vast majority, uh, I, even with the new volunteers yesterday, I would say 75% of the people that are involved in mutual aid in Lansing um, from the giving side, uh, from the organizing side, are, are members of DSA. Um, and de facto, you know, I like that. I think that it's going to be really good to say, um, you know, DSA stepped up. There was a community that was in need, and DSA was involved in the work that saved lives. That's going to be just a great talking point for the future. Um, and we want to make sure that it, it doesn't become too official, too formalized, that we don't put the name absolutely everywhere, um, because we are aware of of DSA as, and we're proud of the fact that DSA is inherently a political machine, um, that DSA exists on a certain political platform that is um, not as widely beloved. Uh, and so our, our apprehension is that if we say this is a DSA project, period, um, that that might dissuade or discourage people from interacting, uh, including people that say they need resources, um, that they are in need of assistance. And so we want to make sure that those people uh, understand that Lansing Area Mutual Aid is first and foremost um, just a project built off of this moral and ethical um, kind of directive that there are people in need and that there are people that can meet those needs. And we're going to do everything we can to put one and two together. Um, and, uh, naturally not wanting to, uh, you know, take away from DSA when people ask, why did this happen? Who do I have to thank? We get to say, oh, well, a lot of this infrastructure was in place because DSA has been building game here in the area for the last three years. Mm -hmm. I would also add that, so every name that you mentioned, there are some degree of active DSA members. Some of them are on the executive board of our DSA locally. Um, and But it's not just, so a lot of the organizing strategies they've brought to this project you know, are things they use in the DSA, but they're also uh, labor organizers, right? Some of them are unionists. Some yep. of them have been involved in all sorts of other edu um, kinds of organizing. Um, and that's what they brought to this, right? So what, yep. one of your co-organizers is on our My Labor Committee, our DSA labor, labor Committee, as well as an active member in that, and is really, you know, integrating what does this mean for working people? What does this, you know, what does this have to say about greater organizing and bringing the skills that we learn as unionists to bringing mm -hmm. people together? to do this yeah uh, which is absolutely. why that training you had yesterday was so well organized you know yeah um and there's a lot of um there's a lot of natural overlap and i think that the more i think about it the more um the more happy happy i am with the way that things are just working out in reality like Eloise is super involved with the essay stuff, and she recognizes that she can't do that and be super involved with mutual aid um whereas um you know Ian is more than happy to, you know, answer all of the questions that, that I turn to him about mutual aid. Um, and so I think that it, it does kind of balance out. We want to make sure that not only are we looking at both organizations from a strategic place uh, on, on working and leveraging off of one another's strengths, um, but that we're also um, 
looking inwards to our individual members and we're making sure that none of them are getting burnt out, that they're not being stretched beyond their capacity. Um, not, not only that, but that we're proactively asking, is this too much to put on your plate? Um, and then also not just looking at our memberships, but reaching out to other organizations through mutual aid and through DSA and asking, Hey, do you want to get involved with this? And making sure that, um, that we intentionally chase after and pursue optics that are, um, that are welcoming and, and inviting to other members of the community, um, regardless of political spectrum ideologies. Uh, so obviously a lot of the, a lot of the work that you're doing, uh, you know, is, is very focused on providing material support, uh, to people in the area. And that's obviously going to require, um, you know, physical movement outside of people's homes. So I'm, I'm just curious what, what precautions are you telling your volunteers to take, um, in order to keep them safe while they're trying to help people in the community? Yeah. Um, so Ian is one of our core leadership members and he is also, you know, like a really good microbiologist and, um, very involved in the sanitation protocols, um, I also helped write some of the kind of sanitation safety protocols. Um, one of the first questions we do when we're looking at new organizers and even when we're looking at people who are offering things, uh, people that we are going to have to interact with um, face-to-face, even if it's indirect, even if it's setting a bag out on the porch and, you know, they take it in their house or something. Um, we have a question that screens, you know, um, we want to make sure you understand the health risks. If you're above the age of 50, or if you have an underlying health condition, especially one affecting your lungs, like asthma, COPD, emphysema, um, that, that you're aware that this is, this is increasing your risk. Uh, and, um, you know, having that liability waiver in place, um, but also recognizing the majority of people that are willing to volunteer and the majority of people that we have seen actually getting into their cars, picking up and delivering groceries, um, they are relatively at low risk. They are usually 35 years of age or younger. Um, I'm going to say that again after I get dirt. Dirt, you stop that right now. <laughs> uh, so we recognize that um, the majority of our volunteers that are actually going out, getting groceries, delivering groceries, they're at relatively low risk. They're 35 years of age or younger. Um, they don't have a history of uh, underlying health conditions, especially regarding the respiratory tract. Um, and then we give them kind of just best, best practices. Um, we make sure that they kind of understand what germs are and how they can live on other surfaces. So it's important not to just, you know, not touch your hands or your face or other people. Um, but that, you know, you're going to be touching a shopping cart that has potentially a contaminated person has touched it. Um, you know, groceries, especially produce, um, you know, the bags, the checkout area, the place where you put in your pin on your card, um, you know, all of those being potential vectors for, you know, illness. Um, and so we're, we're doing our best practices in terms of, we have a limited number of homemade face masks that are available. People have made them following CDC guidelines. Um, if you are that concerned about it, um, even though the actual, um, even though the actual contraction difference between using a face mask regularly and not is pretty negligible, unless you have the training to take it on and take it off without touching your face, not adjust it by touching your hand directly to your face. Cause it'll undo all of that precautions, uh, having hand sanitizer available so that we can tell them use the hand sanitizer before you get out of your car, use it when you get back in your car, recognize that your steering wheel probably has some germs on it. It may be contaminated. We're not sure. Um, not doing direct handoffs. So usually we call them, we make sure, Hey, are you in your house? 
Uh, and then they say, yes, I'm in my house. And we ask, where do you want this dropped off? We can put it on your porch. We can put it on your back porch. We can put it on top of your recycling bin. Um, but we don't want to have you open the door and we don't want to hand it to you because we know that we can be asymptomatic for between four and 14 days. And we wouldn't know and we would really hate to get you sick. So as much as we can prevent that in-person contact, as much as we can follow social distancing while still getting people the things that they need to live their lives and to be healthy and to be safe, um, we're trying to, you know, really tread right between those two. Uh, and it really is difficult. I, even with people that are experienced dispatchers that have done this three or four times already, um, you know, I'm not, it's not uncommon for one of them to give me a call and they have a unique situation. Um, they say, Hey, what's going on? And I either have an answer or I say, Hey, you should call Ian. Ian will have a better answer about what the pathology risks are here. Are you currently are you currently doing anything uh, with this project or anything that you hope to do? Uh, to, are you are you hoping to do anything that uh, directly uh, that directly benefits uh, people who are living without housing? Yeah. Um, so there are a few things going on, and I think housing. Um, you know, the homeless population, um, the people who are at risk of homelessness in Lansing. Um, that's the biggest thing. Just naturally doing groceries uh, and things like that. That's a huge amount of liability. You know, we we're doing everything we can in in good faith. You know, take pictures of the receipts, send those in, so we can have a folder of receipts if someone really needs to question the amount that was paid send a picture of the groceries being set down on their porch so we can say it's not like the volunteer just kept all of these groceries. You know, we have good faith they were at least delivered. Um, you know, trying to make sure that the liability is as many people on the same page that we were on the up and up as possible. Um, and that gets harder um, specifically for the homeless population um, just because the city has shut down the city has shut down lots of public sanitation stations. Um, so public drinking fountains, you know, they're shut off because we don't want people getting sick from sharing, you know, essentially what is the same water bottle. Um, we don't want, you know, the, the city has deemed that that is a risk that they are unwilling to take. And so I'm talking with uh, a, a really kind of brilliant man named Tim Schmidt. And uh, Tim is working um, with a few other people on creating water stations. So we would put a 55-gallon drum in the back of a truck. We would fill it with water. It's attached to a spigot. Um, we're thinking about using a foot pedal so you don't even have to turn the water supply on and off with your hand to avoid um, any potential vector there. Um, and using that just so you can fill a water bottle. You can take a drink, you know, out of it using gravity. You can, you know, wash your hands. You can, you know, do basic things like that. Um, so we think that'll be pretty cost effective and having it in the back of a truck means that it will be mobile and we will be able to store it safely and we'll be able to have someone uh, on site while it's being used. So we can make sure that there's not some uh, there's not some alternative version of like me as a 10 year old who would turn on the water supply or the fountain, you know, the fountain drinks at the store and directly just put his mouth under it. We want to make sure that there's not, you know, that version of me. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, that's one of the big things. We are also reaching out to gyms, other places that are closed down right now that have, um, that have shower stations available. The YMCA, um, Planet Fitness, all, all gyms pretty much, I think, are, are closed and they usually have showers. And so we want to ask them if, if they're able to take on that liability of, man, there are people that really need to be clean and being clean right now is more important than it has ever been in any of our lifetimes. Um, so, you know, we need you to be willing to take on the risk. Um, 
and and it's scary. You know, a lot of people have businesses and overheads. They're already worried about their businesses folding, especially small local businesses, small local gyms over over unemployment, over having to close their doors for several weeks. Uh, you know, businesses aren't they're not prepared to have this this length of time where they're totally shut down, where they have no revenue. Uh, and so adding on the lot, the potential liability of you could get sued over this in a worst case scenario. Um, a lot of them are very risk avoidant because they're already more worried than they've ever been about having their doors closed for good. Um, so it's a lot of, um, conversations, uh, about that. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of, you know, building relationships with the individual that owns that business, that manages that gym, um, to be able to bring them into the community as, as individuals and not solely as calculating business entities. Mm-hmm. This this project exists mostly uh, on the east side of Lansing, right? Yes, that's changing. That's shifting right. to be broader, but yeah, it's still mostly the east side of Lansing. Okay, so I, I, I'm curious, uh, does, does this work uh, involve any kind of uh, coordination with, uh, say, uh, Sparrow Hospital? Uh Hopefully it will. Um, I have a couple of friends and former colleagues that have um, talked to me through Sparrow. Um, one of the big things that we're doing right now is mask distribution. So we're finding people with sewing machines and we're finding people with 3D printers. Um, so two very different two very different spokes on the wheel of being a big fucking nerd. Uh, and we're asking them, Hey, can you make masks? Because you can either sew masks uh, that are, you know, reasonably effective, or you can fully 3d print uh, a mask, or you can 3d print just the filter on a mask and put that into one of the sewn masks. Um, I have a couple of friends in Troy that are just geniuses with 3d printers and CNC machines. They can actually 3d print respirators and that's what they're doing right now. Um, so it's reaching into the community for those particular resources and those particular skills and saying, mm-hmm. we really need these and these are going to save lives as an absolute guarantee. Please do as many of them as you can with as much time as you possibly have. And then um, we as an organization can help direct that to local hospitals. Um, so right now there's a box on my porch and, you know, uh, people that sew masks come and drop them off and then... Uh, I, I give them to a person who works uh, at Sparrow on a, on a high-risk floor. Uh, she's a registered nurse. She goes in. Uh, Sparrow is willing to sanitize them before they start getting used. Um, and just being able to help out with that production has just been uh, an amazing opportunity that I think um, I think the mayor's office and I think uh, Sparrow, if not now, then very soon, will be, um, you know, asking explicitly about where this supply comes from. What's it like at Sparrow? Do you know? Is it starting? <laughs> I don't want to make a joke out of it, but is it? are they already seeing the pressure? I think it's starting in New York City, isn't it? I, it's already hell in New York City, yeah. right? Um, I actually have a DSA friend who is an ER nurse at one of those frontline hospitals, and it is very bad. Yeah, um, uh, I just, uh, we haven't heard about, like, that fatalities in Ingham County yet, correct? We've had cases, but no fatalities. Is that true? I'm sorry. I signed an NDA. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, those of us who read the news, we haven't heard about any fatalities, right? Um, the last that I knew, there was there were three fatalities in Michigan, and they were all in Wayne County, Oakland County, or the city of Detroit. Right. I think that's gone up a little. So we have, uh, yeah, so we're still just anticipating it to get bad in Lansing, and we're not yeah. seeing it yet. Yeah, yeah. 
Have you been into the hospital recently? Mm-hmm. Like, what's it look like? Is it already crazy? Are people panicking, or is it still there? Um, so the hospital's not not panicked. I don't think floor to floor because um, because you can't get in. You know, people that right. just need to go in and get a prescription from the pharmacy in the main hospital, they're being redirected to other pharmacies. Um, people that want to come in and say hi to a loved one that was sick or broke a leg, they are not allowed in. Uh, and they do have security personnel at all of the entrances on the ground at the skywalk, the bridge that goes across the to, to the other building across the street, um, the the back doors. Mm-hmm. Um, so they really aren't letting anyone in unless you're there to work or unless you are a patient. Um, so. Uh, the actual atmosphere, I think, in the building is still, um, it's, it's quieter, it's emptier, um, but it's not, you know, it's not people that are angry and upset. Mm-hmm. I'm already pretty worried about access to, reg, you know, more routine medical services as this yeah. gets worse. Yeah, I had my teeth cleaning appointment canceled, actually. Yeah, I got one coming up too. God, that's yeah. gonna suck. <laughs> like, yeah, like what am I gonna do my... with my teethies? I know. Yeah, I know, I... and it's you know. I was going to, uh, uh, I like before this, ha- just before this happened, like I was thinking about scheduling an appointment to get my hair cut because I am <laughs> long overdue. Mm-hmm. Like my hair, my hair is getting way too long now. Um, yeah. and now I can't fucking do it anymore. So or like is for it time me, to try doing it yourself. I really don't want, you. I really don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't I trust that's myself. Gonna cut my hair Friday. Mm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, for, so for me, like my hair grows so fast and it's so thick that it's like a real physiological problem in my life. Yeah. So I think that that counts as an exception to Gretchen Whitmer's stay at home order mm-hmm. so that I can drive to a friend's house and she'll wear gloves and she's just going to cut my hair because I just need the sides and the back shaved off because it's getting hot, mm-hmm. like just sitting here. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, speaking of which, uh, I was going to ask you. Um, a Monday night, I believe it was Monday night, uh, Gretchen Whitmer issued a shelter in place order, uh, governor Gretchen Whitmer of, of the state of Michigan. Um, she, she issued a, a shelter in place order. Um, and I was curious, uh, how, uh, if that's affected the uh, Lansing area mutual aid in any significant way and how you're maybe anticipating future actions or restrictions from yeah. the state or federal government. Honestly, from a pundit perspective, um, the stay-at-home order is not being enforced, and it's not very enforceable, um, because in order to prevent panic, Gretchen Whitmer had to very explicitly lay out what are the exceptions, and how do I prove that I have one of the exceptions, and tacitly to the average Michigander, I think that's just saying, oh, this is what I have to lie and say to a cop if I get pulled over, um, as well as the fact that, you know, there's not there's not the infrastructure and the number of officers to pull over and question everyone who's still going to be out and about on the roads. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely effective, and we're seeing a lot less people on the roads. But, um, you know, it, there's not really anything that can be done um, when people do get pulled over, uh, if people do get questioned about it. Um, for us, practically, and just to be, you know, as transparent, as accountable as possible, um, you know, we are reaching out. Um, one of my goals tonight after the podcast is to draft a letter, um, and I can sign it because we have incorporated, so apparently my signature means something now, um, to say, you know, uh, this is blank. Sign your name here. And this is a volunteer with Lansing, uh, with the Lansing Area Mutual Aid, and they're 
out and about in the city doing things, uh, giving necessary food, medicine, supplies to another member of the community that otherwise can't go out and do it themselves. And that is one of the first provisions that is listed as an exception under the executive order is um, being able to go out and do those things that are necessary for life um, for yourself and for others who are unable to leave their house right now. Either they are always kind of difficult to get out of the house uh, or right now they are immunocompromised and they are unable to be in society because of risk of contracting coronavirus. Mm -hmm. um, we can also I'm also thinking we'll have Brandon sign it since he's a sitting elected politician here in Lansing. Uh, I, hopefully, you know, I don't think it's likely, but hopefully Lansing cops would know who their bosses are and a member of city council's signature on a piece of paper would kind of tell them to let the person go. Yeah. But who who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I make my living as a delivery driver and, uh, we, we all just got, uh, got letters to keep on our cars that say that we yeah. are, we are essential critical infrastructure, uh, because, you know, we deliver, you know, food and, uh, medicine and, uh, supplies. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we deliver all kinds of shit, but you know. There's a weird, there's a very weird line that Michigan is drawing between essential and non-essential. The good side is it's telling the world very explicitly grocery workers make the world go round and they deserve a living wage and a union. And if you don't give them both of those, then I guess the next time this happens, you're all just going to starve. Um, but on the bad side of things, uh, I'm seeing lots of places that are like really skirting the lines to try to remain essential workers, like mm -hmm. hardware stores. Sure, hardware stores, I guess, sell things that are essential, but who who really wants to be doing their floors right now? And that's really what happened before the stay-at-home order, is everyone went to the hardware store and they figured, oh man, if I have to work from home for the next week, I might as well redo my sunroom while I'm at it. I might as well paint the deck. Um so so they all went to a hardware store and got into one building with a bunch of other people that they don't know, and they touched all of the same stupid paint swabs and shook the same hands with the same people that are working there. Um, so I, I don't know about hardware stores staying Genius open. Shit. I don't know about Genius lots shit. of places staying open. Yeah. I well, first of all, I would I like have been feeling the urge to paint my house like the way other people want to impulsively cut their hair. I'm like, I want to paint, I want to paint, but I can't. Um, I was gonna say though that expanding. So we haven't done this officially, like on the books here, I don't think. But expanding what uh, counts as uh, like essential services is actually a union busting tactic, right? Because yeah. if you can't strike, right? Like if you start to become officially categorized in that way, you lose your um a lot of bargaining rights that you would have yeah uh and that's one of the, the the difficult conversations is trying to figure out um how how ethical is it for us to really leverage this time of like overwhelming universal need as as a political moment to have to ask for a union if you don't have one or to try to strengthen your union if you do. Um, and so I, people, I don't though. think that it's, yeah, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's just, you know, imagery. It's the way that you do it. Um, because, because you're right. It is, it is definitely something where it, it's a tactic of you're essential. We need everyone to rally mm -hmm. for the common good. Don't you dare think about threatening us to, to further your rights as a worker right now. Right. So the workers are also the people who are going to get sick. That's the most important thing to remember here. I don't want to like scare you, but like you're those of you who leave your house are the ones who have the most at stake. 
um, for your labor and your health, right? So it's the same issue right now. And the, the challenge is making people understand that. And also resisting those kind of selfless urges that those of us who are educators, for example, uh, have a lot of issues, you know, feeling, you know, like martyrs all the time, pretty much. Yeah. Um, the state could do all these jobs that you guys are doing. At the end of the day, they could. And they could or, pay you yeah. state worker wages, but they don't. Yeah. I mean, why, why? if we had public works do all of these things like deliveries, we'd have to give them hazard pay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So why, why would I stop the trolley from killing hundreds of people when the trolley business could lose a bunch of stock? Stonks. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that one? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's because yeah. the, the, you know, the, the last uh, few decades of America have been all about outsourcing to, you know, the private sector, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, making sure that, uh, you know, corporations can make as much money as possible. Um, and now we're even um, talking about fucking just sacrificing the lives of millions of people to the golden bull um, on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's lovely. There are. There are two things I'd like to give you. Number one, I mentioned it to you before we started. Uh, Jeff Bezos has asked the public to donate to the Amazon Relief Fund. Mm-hmm. The richest man in the world is asking the public, hey, this is a fund that I set up so that my employees cannot die. Will you mm-hmm. please give to it? <laughs> and Ben it's and a... I just thought. Yeah, go ahead. Ben it's and I just thought of... it was the most ridiculous thing. Yeah, it's a version of the Walmart thing, right? So, while, you know, the numbers tell us that it's Walmart workers who, you know, take up welfare roles, right? Uh, because one of the other wealthiest people in the world are not giving them living wages. So, the yeah. state is picking up the slack. Um, the other thing that you mentioned that I want to read really quick, Ricky, is you talked about, you know, you talked about numbers, I think. You said, you know, like... How many millions of working class people are putting themselves at risk right now? Mm. And there's this Yahoo Finance article I read last night that I will definitely link in the description of the episode. That is just a statistician going through, man, if we're guessing average infection rates and, you know, all of these kind of really, really not difficult numbers to procure out of what reality is right now, you know, we're still looking at hundreds of thousands of of dead americans we're looking at like three million people that get sick Mm -hmm. and they're yeah mostly going to be service workers that don't have that don't have proper health insurance Mm -hmm. and the the elderly in their communities you know so we we had americans had heard that this was just the boomer remover right but what is the news actually telling us all of the people in my greater network or like famous people I'm aware of who have died from this have been like 35 to 50 year old, usually uh, people of color, right? That's who I've been hearing yeah. about dying from this. A lot of healthy ones too, right? Um, yeah. So it's it's going to look different how, from how we've been told, I think. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things about just uh, a novel virus is, you know, not having a cure, not understanding it properly. Even if we can draw analogies, even if, you know, we're, even if we know, like, this is a mutation of the SARS virus from several years ago. Um you know, this is a new, completely unique entity. And so we're constantly drawing new data and we're constantly extrapolating new conclusions on, oh man, young people might be more at risk than we thought. Um, hey boy, young people might be more at risk than we thought, or, um, 
you know, it may be uh, infectious for longer than we thought. Even after you're symptomatic, uh, even after you think you're healthy again, you may still be able to give it to somebody else. Uh, we just we just don't know the answers right now, and we have no way to run an actual control study. We're just having to having to assess as many bodies as as humanly possible and having to put together things from from real life there's no actual control over the situation from a from a diagnostic standpoint from like a study standpoint did you hear that it's the jewels causing the young people to die that it's the vaping have you heard that yet i have heard that do you think it's true? I think it's got to be true, right? I, I mean, it, it can be nothing. Well, yeah. I mean, good. Sorry. L- lucky for me, I don't I don't vape anymore. I have gone back oh. to smoking cigarettes. <laughs> so, yeah, no. you're all set. You're clear. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm safe. I'm safe. Don't worry, guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, what's the other thing? Old people in America, they're retired. And old retired people in America live in their own isolated retirement communities. You know, I haven't mm-hmm. heard about the villages in Florida having... Having, you know, like hundreds of bodies drop dead and they're all they're all high at risk because, you know, they're all a bunch of like iron workers that used to like, you know, literally sniff the asbestos right. out of their working gloves <laughs> on a dare. Yeah. So like if it if it got to the villages, they would all just start dropping. But, you know, they're isolated enough. It's it's really the people that are in urban areas that are crowded where they live. Um, they tend to be they tend to be poorer. That is so the, f- the first huge cases coming out in this U.S., right, we're out of Washington, and the numbers just kind of ballooned because um, there was an outbreak at a at a, an assisted living facility, and a, like just a lot of people died very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think we're seeing that in Michigan, too, that, you know, nursing homes, um, th- that that they're just dying. And after the fact, maybe they're when they see like three people drop in the same short period of time, they're like, maybe we should test. And it turns out that one of them did actually get novel coronavirus somehow. Um, but you know, it's nursing homes. Like everyone kind of feels sick sometimes. And so Mm -hmm. they're not, they're not taking it seriously. When a when a person living in those care facilities says, man, I, I feel sick and it's kind of hard to breathe because every other person in that facility, you know, like has COPD. Mm-hmm. Stop it. <laughs> so, uh, Sam, I, I, I heard that uh, Charla is working on developing an app for a Lansing area mutual aid. Is that right? Yeah, I would describe it as as an app. It's hosted on her website. So Charla and her partner started a for profit business called Organizing Together. Um, I, I think it's organized together. Yeah, organized together. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and so that app is actually what we used for our training. Um, it is just a compendium of other mutual aid documents, a lot of efforts that have been started recently. Um, when I started, I was really inspired by mutual aid in Medford and Somerville. So I was really inspired by mutual aid efforts in Medford and Somerville, as well as Kelly Hayes, who is an organizer friend from Chicago, um, as well as... Um, as well as Cindy, who made a viral medium article talking about how collective care is our best defense against COVID-19. Uh, and so we're really kind of taking the cream of the crop out of those resources, people who are, um, you know, they believe in mutual aid uh, between organizers. So they're, you know, freely sharing. This is our spreadsheet. This is our literature. This is what we, God damn it. This is what we think is best. Um, this is our literature. This is what we think is best. And they are, um, sharing it and work and Charla and the rest of our team have been putting together um, 
kind of the best ones that that we can think of uh and also we're seeing how they play off of one another making sure that all of the bases are covered and then we're organizing them slightly tweaking them editing them of course giving due credit and laying them out in a way that um someone who lives in um you know uh an area where there's not a strong mutual aid community they can read through this document they can have contact information they can see examples and templates and folders on google drives and g suite uh and they're able to you know reach out and find other organizers and start this community and start this effort wherever they live that way we don't have people that live 40 minutes away from the nearest mutual aid network uh cuz we don't want those people to be left out and that's one of the big things of mutual aid is you know maybe it's not necessarily feasible for it to be my job but your welfare your health and safety that is everyone's job and if it can't be my job directly then i'm going to make sure that you know it's somebody's job and that that somebody is um you know fit and able to to do this to make sure that you get what you need to make sure that um that you're not just left alone because of the stay at home order to make sure that the things that you need to live aren't canceled and you're just left without alternatives especially for um especially for poor people uh that may not have cars that still need to go to work because fast food is still an essential service in Michigan quote unquote um including people that are you know in assisted living including people that are on fixed incomes you know a lot of this uprooting of what they do week to week it throws them into this place where they have no idea how how costs that they need to pay right now maybe money that they don't even have will um kind of snowball and affect the rest of their the rest of their life uh especially if they're unable to work right now um whether it be from unemployment or whether it be because they've retired 8 years ago and they weren't expecting this mm-hmm. Well, Sam, uh before we let you go, uh I I'm just curious uh if you uh, if you're willing to share with our listeners what what exactly you're doing to, you know, cope with the stress and the anxiety that's coming with this that that, you know, that everyone everyone is fucking feeling right now. So what what are you doing to deal with it? Yeah. Um so I'm an extrovert and so I am just not comfortable at all with this whole social distancing thing. Uh it it just it's it's the worst thing uh y- you see those facebook app, you know posts that are just like would you spend a month alone in a log cabin for a million dollars and my answer now is hell no i could never do that mm. um so i've been doing a lot of music um i've been you know kind of focusing on the things that bring me joy that i was doing before uh just not nearly as much so making music by myself um reading books um being outside you know going for walks um roasting marshmallows in a fire pit in the backyard um all of those types of things um i'm spending a lot more time doing that i'm spending a lot more time writing uh and honestly i think mutual aid's really healthy for me because um i know that helping others is something that is very important to me as a personality that that it's cyclic that the more i get to do it the better i feel and the more energy i have to keep doing it um which is a gamble especially if i have a day where there are three or four bad mutual aid interactions um which is why i need the community i need charlas and ians and cc's and rosses and brandons um you know to encourage me if you know if mutual aid does have you know a day where where there are obstacles where there um you know there isn't you know uh an interaction that goes necessarily the way that i want it to um so being able to being able to pour into mutual aid and give that my energy right now uh, is something that i think actually um kind of unintuitively has been very um rewarding to me uh to to battle isolation because I have to constantly talk to like these five other people um literally all the time um we talk literally every day as a group 
Um, and, you know, having to reach out and talk to other people, you know, and leading by example and calling people, even if they don't necessarily say they need something, just a couple days after saying, hey, are you okay? I just want to check in with you. I want to see if you have any recurring needs or anything that's changed since the last time we talked. Um, being able to have those interactions um, over the phone, over video chats, over emails, um, I think that uh, it's been very help helpful to me. Uh, and also keeping in mind the, the like big picture that like after everything settles down and after all of the bodies have been buried, um, I think we will have a stronger Lansing because of mutual aid. I think that people will be closer to people that they did not know before, that they will have friends to meet in person for the first time that may have saved their lives during this time of social isolation. Um, and I think that that's going to be um, just this whole new landscape of what Lansing is socially. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really can't wait to, I really can't wait to go out and see it. Ricky, did you have any final thoughts or questions? Um, let's just make sure they don't get evicted when that time comes. That is our next goal. I think good call. Yeah. And that's one of the difficult things. Mutual aid doesn't have the capacity to do, to pay everybody's rent and utilities, um, especially internet bills. All the kids are at home and they have to learn off computers and some of them don't even have computers. Um, so that's, that's one of those intersectionality points where mutual aid has to let go and we have to look at other, at other organizations and efforts. If only there was a way we could stop rent from being collected and stop people from getting evicted. We're working on it. Okay. Good. Strongly, strongly worded letters. <laughs> no. Good. Well, um, so uh, just so everyone's aware, uh, links for how you can learn more about Lansing Area Mutual Aid and how you can get involved will be included in the description to this episode. Um, Ricky had mentioned before... Um, uh, that it's going down.org uh, has put together uh, a pretty good uh, compilation of lots of mutual aid efforts that are come that are sprouting up across the country uh, and you can find Lansing on that as well as you know plenty of other cities and regions uh, so be sure to check that out if you know if you don't live in the Lansing area which I know um, uh, some of our some of our listeners don't um, all four of them <laughs> well our our uh our our number one fan brandon betts uh lives uh lives here in lansing um and i think we're going to be talking to him next week i think we're planning on doing a bonus episode with him um so uh just to just to remind everyone um please make sure you subscribe to our show on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher google play wherever else you you get podcasts um you can find us on facebook at state of the revolution you can follow us on twitter at sotr pod um you have if you have questions comments or threats you can email us at uh sotr pod at gmail.com um, and if you like our show and you want to help us out you can subscribe on patreon at patreon.com slash michigan progressive um, you can get access to some bonus content there uh, like the episode that we're planning on planning for next week um, so thanks thanks again for listening to this episode and samuel um, I, I usually I usually say this as a joke, but I do genuinely mean it when I say thank you for your service, um, and thank you for thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we're really really glad to have you here to share share with us the work that you're doing. First, mom and dad tell me that I'm good for nothing and I should enlist, and now you're telling me to enlist. No, Join no, no, I'm, I'm, no. I I mean I actually mean the opposite. <laughs> I mean the opposite of that. <laughs> 
Thank you for the yeah. service that you're providing right here, right now. That is not being a part of the uh, U.S. military death machine. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll be back, uh, I think, on Sunday with uh, episode number 70. Hopefully something a little lighter. So, for bye, sure. everyone. All right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, bye, everyone. Bye.